Well, God bless you guys. Welcome uh, once again to Swerve Church. Man, this is a whole new experience for us to be able to meet here at the school, but it's kind of exciting, right? It's a, a new space, and hopefully it gives us a greater opportunity to be able to reach more people in our community for the cause of Christ, for the sake of Christ. Man, let me welcome you. If you don't know who I am, my name is Danny, and I'm so glad that you chose to spend some time with us this morning. Like Burial said, or you can say morning now. And I'm uh, just so glad, man. I'm just so glad that we can do this. I do want to apologize for some of the hiccups that we've been experiencing. I knew we would because it's our first day and trying to figure out where's the outlet, where how do we set things up. And so next Sunday, the truth is the setup might look completely different because uh, we're going to learn from our mistakes today. And then next week, uh, hopefully we'll have a much better experience. Thank you guys for understanding, however. Thank you guys for rolling with the punches. And thank you for working together as a team. Uh, talking about teamwork, afterwards, if you're not in a rush, we'd love if you would stick around and help us to put some of the things away, as this is a whole brand new dynamic for us trying to learn kind of how, where to put everything and how it goes and all that. Had to rent the U-Haul this week, forget about it, the whole deal. So, anyway, welcome. Welcome to Swerve Church. I'm so glad you guys chose. We've been in this series where we're walking through the book of Ephesians, okay? We're walking through the whole book. It's just six chapters, but we're kind of tearing it apart. We're looking at different verses, and we're studying these things. Now, Paul writes this last this book of Ephesians is actually a letter that he writes to the Christians in Ephesus. And it's so interesting because it's not just full of rich theological truths. A lot of what we've been talking about are these very rich theological truths about who God is and who Jesus is. But as you'll soon see, he's also going to tell us what are some of the very real practical implications of the gospel. In other words, following Jesus is not just a statement. You don't just say, I follow Jesus. Is not just a statement and is not just a worldview. There are very real implications to the gospel. If we truly believe in the power of Jesus Christ to save sinners like you and I and to reconcile us to God, then it impacts the way we live. Does that make sense? So you can't just say, I follow Jesus. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you live things out. And last week, we read some specific things that Paul was praying for. And I told you guys that honestly, it was my prayer that these would be our prayers as well as a church. You know, I really want to believe these things. And he finished off by saying this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. It says that uh, he prayed this, What is the immeasurable greatness of His power, the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. This was part of his prayer. He said he prayed that the Ephesians would know the immeasurable power, right? That he would know the immeasurable power of Christ. So as we wrap up chapter 1 of Ephesians today, uh, congratulations, pat yourself on the back. We're finishing chapter 1 this week. Paul is going to show us how God demonstrated that power in Christ. And in that, we're going to learn some truthful statements about who Jesus truly is. All right. So everyone has some sort of perception of Jesus. You're here today. You're sitting. You're listening to me. You're hearing my words. You have a perception of Jesus. You have a thought of who Jesus is. Everyone has a perception. Some people think that Jesus is a great teacher. You know, he was a really, really great teacher. He was a great rabbi. He, he had this powerful teaching. Even, even the people that didn't follow Jesus, they thought, man, he, he taught like a man who had like a certain type of authority and power. He used stories. He was a, Jesus was a storyteller. He used to tell these great stories and these parables. For some people, Jesus is just a great teacher. For others, Jesus was a prophet. He predicted certain events, even his own death. He predicted his own death. 
and resurrection with great accuracy. And if you read the Gospels, he predicted, uh, he revealed truths about people. He discovered, he, he knew things about people that he never met before. You guys remember the Samaritan at the well, for example. So if some people say, you know, Jesus, he's a great teacher. Jesus is a really good prophet. Some people say, Jesus is a great healer. He was a healer. He was a miracle worker. Man, Jesus was a great guy. Because if you, if, if you had a, a backache, if you, could, if you couldn't see, if you couldn't walk, if you were lame, Jesus came and he healed you. He was very benevolent. And he was very merciful. Jesus was simply put, he was just a, a great healer. So even today, people still have their own version of who Jesus is. For some, Jesus is a porcelain baby that they put on a manger and they take it out in Christmas time and they put it under their tree or over their fireplace or wherever during, during Christmas time. For others, Jesus is just a golden pendant that hangs around a chain on their neck and they wear them. It's a keepsake that was passed down from, from generation to generation. Still for others... For some people, Jesus is just a figment of your imagination. He's just like fairies and Easter bunnies. He never actually existed. Paul is going to share some powerful truths about who Jesus is through the power of God. And it's so important for us to note this because it's not just an opinion. This is truth. He's going to reveal to us some truth about who Jesus actually is. And so in the following verses, I hope that you will be able to have a better picture of who Jesus is. So let's pick it up in verse 20. So you guys have your message notes. Take that out. All the verses are there for you to follow along. Mark that up. Take that pen, circle, underline, fill in the blanks, whatever you want uh, in those notes right there for you. Okay? Here it is. Verse 20 says this. He, that is God, exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him. At the right hand in the heavens. And so as we continue today, we are going to be looking at some powerful truths about who Jesus is. In your notes, if you're taking notes, the first fill in the blank is this. Jesus is alive. He is alive. The first claim Paul makes here is that by the power of God, Jesus is alive. You see, here's the truth. Jesus had to die. And his death was part of God's redemptive plan for mankind. Listen, Jesus suffered very real lashes to his back. A crown of thorns was impaled into his scalp. He Nails were driven through his wrists and through his feet. And he lost an excessive amount of blood. And he died on a wooden cross. They put him in a tomb after he died. And they rolled a stone in front of it. But, but death could not hold him down. And three days later, he rose from the grave and he conquered Satan's sin and death. And when the women and the disciples, when they came to the tomb, they came running to the tomb, they expected to see a big stone. They expected to come and perhaps perfume the body of Jesus. But when they came to the tomb, what they found was an empty grave because Jesus was risen. And Paul says that that was God exercising his power in Christ. Let me ask you guys a question. How much power does it take to raise someone from the dead? He, God, is all, He's so powerful. He has the power to raise the dead to life. That is how powerful that He is. 
But for many, they would love nothing more than to believe that Jesus never resurrected from the dead or believe that He never existed. In fact, what I want to share with you guys today, there should be some more fill in the blanks. I want to share with you guys some common objections that people have to Jesus. And this will hopefully help you to solidify your faith in Jesus, but then also help you conversationally with your friends and co-workers when they say, hey, Jesus never existed or whatever. That's the first argument we're going to look at. Jesus never existed. Some people say he's false. He never happened. The truth is that no credible, no honest, no reliable historian would ever deny the historicity of Jesus. For many, this is simply just a cop-out belief just to deny his existence. I don't want him to exist. I don't want to surrender my life to him. So I'm just going to say he never existed. No serious historian, no reliable historian would ever make that claim. Because you can look at sources outside of the Gospels, outside of the Bible, which confirm the historicity of Jesus. You can read other historical accounts that confirm Jesus walked this earth. You read of a man who claimed to be God and performed signs and wonders. You read of a man who claimed to be God and, and he was ultimately led to die by crucifixion. You read from other historical accounts that his believers made claim of his raising from the dead. And you can get all this information from historical accounts short around and shortly after the time of Jesus. So this myth that Jesus never existed, no serious historian or intellectual would ever tell you otherwise. The historicity of Jesus is proven. Here's the second thing, that the disciples lie. Some people would say the disciples simply lie. Here's the question I'm going to ask you. Do you mean to tell me that a ragtag group of uneducated fishermen pulled off the greatest lie in all of human history? That no better lie in the world has ever been told by these ragtag group of uneducated fishermen? You know, part of why people were so amazed at the disciples, if you read the book of Acts, go back and read it this week, when Peter and the disciples talk, they were amazed at the way they were communicated. They were amazed at their authority. They were amazed at the power of these disciples. You know why? Because, according to Acts, they were a group of uneducated and ordinary men. Plus, common sense, guys, who would die for a lie? Who would die for a lie? You know, Perhaps you would die believing something you know that was true and you didn't want to deny. Who would die for a lie? These men, these disciples, they were beaten, they were tortured, they were imprisoned, and ultimately they were martyred for their supposed lie? Does that make any sense? Who would die for a lie? The only logical conclusion as they died on account of what they saw and what they experienced. This is what they knew was true. And here's the last myth, that the disciples stole the body. That the disciples stole the body. Some people spread this rumor. In fact, you can read it in the Gospels. That's when they, the rumor began. But this claim, honestly, is just as silly as the first two. Do you guys remember? You can talk to me real quick. If you remember. Do you remember who was guarding the tomb? Anybody remember? The Roman soldiers. The, so, yeah, the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers were guarding the tomb. Right? These were heavily armed and skillfully trained Roman soldiers. Are you seriously going to believe that a group of fishermen came armed with like a net and a fish hook and a worm and like a dead fish and came and slapped with the dead fish, get out of my way, I'm going to roll this big stone away and steal Jesus' body. And they did this to train Roman soldiers 
overpowered them and stole the body? Do you really think that's a possibility at all? It is highly, highly, highly unlikely that that ever happened. These are all myths that we are able to debunk and to realize Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Here's the second thing that Paul is going to tell us. Number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. I don't know if you guys caught it. In verse 20, he says that he exercised this power in Christ first by raising him from the dead and then seating him at the right hand in the heavens. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And there's two things that stick out to me about that statement. Number one, the right hand was a seat of honor and authority. And so to say that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, it's a, it's a seat of honor and authority. To sit at the right hand of God is to have a seat of honor and a seat of authority. If you sat at the right hand of a king in those days, you were revered just as much as the king. It was acknowledged that you had some sort of special privilege and you had special access to the king. It was a seat of honor and authority. And so where is Jesus? Man, Jesus is ruling and he's reigning at the right hand of the Father. And that's why Jesus said this about himself in Matthew 28, 18. He said, all authority has been given to who? To me in heaven and on earth. Jesus said this about himself. All authority has been given to me. And so Jesus is sitting at the right hand of Father. Which brings me to the second thing I love about this statement. And it's kind of funny. Jesus is sitting. He's sitting. Jesus is not on the edge of his seat. He's not standing up covering his eyes. When it comes to your personal struggles. Or when it comes to the earth's woes. Jesus is not biting his fingernails. He's not pacing back and forth. Oh my goodness, what is happening? What is Trump about to do? He's not scared about any of these things. You know what Jesus is doing? He's sitting. He's sitting. And Colossians 1.17 says this, that he, that is Jesus, is before all things, and by him all things hold together. You see, Jesus is not afraid. Jesus is not scared. And this ought to be extremely comforting for us. Because if you're here today and you feel like all hell is broken loose, if you feel like you're neck deep in some of life's problems, and you're sitting here and you're going through some very real hurt and hardship, if you've, you're in way over your head, know this, Jesus is sitting. Jesus has all things under His control. Listen, you may be on the edge of your seat. You may be biting your fingernails. You may be nervous. But Jesus, He's sitting. Why? Is it because He's unloving? Is it because Jesus simply doesn't care? Not at all. No, 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 no. It's quite the opposite. He's sitting because He's all-powerful. He's ruling. And He's reigning. And that's why in Peter it says this, it doesn't say that he doesn't care about you and that he's sitting down and he doesn't care what happens to you. No, no. 1 Peter 5, 7, Give all your worries and cares to God for he what? He cares for who? Who does he care for? Us. For He cares for you. Amen. So give all your, wares, your, give all your cares, all your worries to God. He cares about you. And so he's not sitting because he doesn't care about you. He does. He has everything under his control. He has every authority has been given unto him. Cast all your cares upon him. Because he cares for you. Here's the third thing Paul's going to go on to say. Are you guys following along with me? Is it making sense? Right? Number three. Jesus is above 
every ruler. Jesus is above every ruler. And we read that right there in your notes. You should have it. Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 1 verse 20 and 21 says this. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the heavens. So he's sitting and he's far above every ruler, above every authority, every power, every dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Are any of you thankful that Jesus is above every ruler? That Jesus is above every authority. That Jesus is above every president. Jesus is above all rulers. Especially in the tumultuous times that we are living in. There's so much chaos and there's so much calamity right here in the U.S. and all over the world. There are corrupt rulers. There are prideful leaders. There are those in authority that are abusive of their power. But Jesus, He's far above them all. This brings me great comfort because as I look at the leadership landscape of our country today, the issues that are happening overseas, it can seem to us like all hope is lost. Doesn't it seem like that sometimes? But Jesus, guess what? He is far above every ruler. Jesus is far above every authority. He's above every power, every dominion. So ultimately, guess what? My confidence is not in a presidency. My confidence is not in a political party, it's not in a government, it's not even in a democracy. Ultimately, my confidence is in our Lord King Jesus Christ. Because He rules and He reigns from a kingdom not of this earth. Earthly kingdoms, earthly democracies, earthly governments, they will ultimately perish. But Christ's kingdom will reign forever. It will reign forever. And I love how Paul mentions that he's far above every ruler, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Because you know why? Because I think that this also speaks to ultimately that there will be justice. Justice will be served. He sees every injustice that takes place in our world today, and and he will make things right. It seems like every time we turn on the news, every time you pick up the paper, every time you scroll through your Facebook feed, there's another injustice that takes place. Isn't that right? It seems like everywhere you look, it's always happening. There's always an injustice taking place. But guess what? He sees every injustice that takes place. He sees every single one. And we serve a mighty king, King Jesus who is above every ruler and is above every authority. And He reigns justly. He reigns fairly. And one day, there will be justice. One day, there will be justice because Jesus is far above every ruler, above every authority, every power, and every dominion. Here's the last thing Paul says. Number four, he says that Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of of the church. And we read it in verses 22 and 23 it says this, and he subjected how much? How much did he subject? He subjected Let me hear you guys. He subjected everything, everything under his feet and appointed him as what? As head over what? How much? Over everything, everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Now, I've said this before. And I'll say it again. Jesus is the chief shepherd of this church. And we are all sheep in his pasture. 
Let me say it one more time. Jesus is the chief shepherd of this church, and we are all sheep in his pasture. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd that laid down his life for his sheep so that we can be forgiven of sin, so that we can be made new by the power of his blood, and so that we can experience a reconciled relationship with God. You know, guys, there was a time in the New Testament when Jesus was talking to his disciples the way I'm talking to you now. And he looked at them in their eyeballs and he asked them a question. And he told his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he asked them this question. And I imagine the apostles, the, uh, the disciples scratching their head, looking at each other. And then they look at Jesus and they begin to tell him about all the predictions people have made about Jesus. Say, well, Jesus, some people think that you're kind of like Elijah reincarnate. That you came back and you're the Old Testament prophet Elijah and you're back. Some people just thought he was a prophet, like a good prophet, a good teacher. Others thought he was the prophet Jeremiah that came back from the Old Testament. And Jesus says, okay, 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 that's all fine and dandy. That's what other people say about me. By the way, you guys have to answer that question yourself too. Who is Jesus to you? But then he looks at them and he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? He looked at the disciples in their eyeballs and said, who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter declared, you guys may have heard this, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And after Peter says that, Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. You see, in other words, the church of Jesus Christ is built upon the rock or the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of not only Swerve Church, but the Global C Church, the capital C Church. The fact that we are dead in our sins, but that God made us alive through Jesus' perfect life, through His death and His resurrection, He is the head of the foundation of the church. And this is why from the very beginning, we've said that we want to be a life-giving, gospel-centered church. Ever since the beginning, we've said that's what we want to do. We want to be a life-giving, gospel-centered church. A church that is founded on the gospel, teaches the gospel, lives out the gospel, proclaims the gospel, and believes the gospel. That's what we want to be, that type of church. And it's so unfortunate, guys. So unfortunate that many churches have strayed away from the purity of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Many tend to pull away from this central truth and they turn to dogma over the gospel. They turn to liturgy over the gospel. They turn to tradition over the gospel. But we here at Swerve Church, we are for the gospel because we are for Jesus. Because we know it's only through Jesus that we have any hope. Jesus is the one, guys, that can change lives. Jesus is the one that can provide the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the one that mediates between us and God. And Jesus is the one that is interceding on our behalf. Jesus is the head of the church. Guys, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And listen, you can go your whole entire life with this in front of you the whole time and completely miss it. And the truth is that many have. Many have gone with this right in front of them and they missed it. You can be a steady churchgoer with a great Sunday school attendance and miss this point. You can completely miss this point. Do you know how I know? Because the greatest teachers, the greatest rabbis, and the greatest religious leaders of Jesus' day, they had him right in front of them and they completely missed it. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 5, 38 and 39. He said, you don't have his word living in you 
Because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think they have eternal life in them. But look what Jesus said. This is bold. He said, yet they testify about me. They testify about me. Testify about Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus Christ must be central to all that we do. When we sing during our worship experience, we sing to him and we sing about him. When we pray for each other, we pray to God through Jesus. That's why we say in Jesus' name. We pray through Jesus knowing that he hears our prayers and that he has the power to answer our prayer. When we open our Bible, like we're doing today, guess who we teach about? We teach about Jesus. Because we are not the center of the text, Jesus is. Guys, sidebar, when you open up your Bibles this week, when you read it, don't insert yourself into the text. The Bible's not about you. It's about Jesus coming to save mankind from our own sin. Insert Jesus. Jesus is the center of the text. Now listen, if you're here today and you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then I want to give you the opportunity to do so today. Because our sin is very real. Our sin creates a chasm between us and God, but Jesus is the bridge that closes that gap. Jesus, He paid the price for our sin. He died an excruciating death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus picked up, picked up the bill, and He died an excru- excruciating uh, death on a cross, but He victoriously rose from the grave, and Jesus is alive. And because He is alive, we can be made alive through Him. Maybe you've been to church many, many times. Maybe you are a good church-going person. But if you never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you missed the target. It's all about Jesus, and I want to give you the opportunity to turn to Him today. You guys have your connection cards. You can whip that out real quick. Fill out the front. Put all the information there that you need. In a moment, the offering bucket's going to go around. You can throw your connection card in there and your offering envelopes. If you have anything today to give, you can throw it uh, in there. In a moment, but on the back, if you never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, that next step, please check that off. Make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you to the front. I want to embarrass you. I just want you to check that off. And this week, we want to follow up with you and put some resources into your hand and help you take your next step in following Jesus. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank you because we do not worship a dead God. We don't worship a God that was made with human hands. We worship you, King Jesus, because you are alive. And because, God, you are alive through Jesus, we can, we can be made alive. We can be no longer dead in our sin. And we praise you because you are sitting at the right hand of the Father. You are interceding on our behalf. And Lord, I pray for all of us here today that are carrying burdens and we're carrying worries and we're carrying stress, myself included. God, we want to cast it upon you because we know that you love us and you care for us. Jesus, you are above every ruler. Jesus, you are the head of the global church. And Jesus, you're the head of this church right here. May we forever be founded upon the gospel truth of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.